Hey, we've been talking today, and of course we'll be talking about it all month long, about our responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. Do you remember this morning, what percent of the world's population lives in America? 4%. So it means 96% of the world's population lives outside of our borders. There's probably about a 96% chance you and I ought to do something about it. Every day, we ought to pray for the world. Study larger maps. Get a map of the world and pray for the countries on the continent of Africa and Europe, and South America, Central America, North America, Australia. Pray for these countries. Pray for people that you might know in those countries. Uh, put a heart, put a, put a face to, uh, to somebody. We have a whole uh, bunch of list of our missionaries that were on, on the cards. And many of you are praying for those this year. It's great to pray for them. Give. Give every week so someone can hear about Jesus. Nobody gets saved without somebody giving something. Just the way it happens. And it does take manpower, media, materials, uh, and it takes money to get people the gospel. I'm concerned about it. I'm excited. I think we're on the verge of the Lord Jesus returning. I don't know when he's going to come. He doesn't owe us a a time. But uh, when he comes, I'd like to be busy doing what we can to get the gospel. And I want us not, I don't want to be just a mission-supported church. I want to be a soul-winning church. We want to see people get saved around the corners or all around the world. And we, we, we need to really be passionate about that. Say, God, please help me lead someone to Christ. I was spending time yesterday going and visiting people and talking to them about the Lord and, and burdened to do that. Linda got to lead a lady to the Lord, 92 years old. And she said, she, he said, she said to me, John, she was just so ready to be saved. I didn't have to convince her. I just explained to her, and she goes, oh, I need to do that. I need to do that. And, uh, you know, 92 years for someone to bring the gospel to them. But thank God that he's able to save people in their senior years of life. We've got several of our folks going to these uh, assisted living homes and, and having Bible studies, and these people are realizing they got plenty of money to live in the assisted living home, but they don't know Jesus. Uh, they, need, they need to be saved. We need to be, we need to be look and say, Lord, who can you let me lead to Christ? And then what can we do about getting the gospel to others? I'm burdened about this. I really feel like that we need to really accelerate the number of missionaries we support. And we're able to do some projects, which I'm happy about that. But I want to get, if we can, a missionary in every place we could possibly get that would concur with what we believe and be active soul winning. And you pray that God will help us. And then pray that more people would come to know Christ. Mamas and daddies, don't stifle your child if he wants to go to the mission field if she has a, an interest in that. You feed that fire. You pray that God would use them. And uh, never stifle what God may be doing. I think we're, we're a very materialistic people. And we want, well, I want you to be independent. No, you don't. You want them to be dependent upon the Lord. <laughs> Most of you, you've raised family, and your kids are hardworking, diligent people, but if God wants them, and I know that everybody's not going to do that. It's not God's will for everybody to go to the foreign field, but I, I wish to God that everybody would struggle with the possibility. And uh, if the world is as big as it is, and if 96% of the world lives somewhere else, then there ought to be some young people and some young couples and even some senior age couples going to the world. And I believe God's calling. We're just not answering the phone. I think there's some folks that God's talking to. I don't know who they are, and if it's me, I want to listen. 
I certainly have no, no qualms. If God wants me to do something different, but I, I think I'm going to be here as your pastor as long as you'll let me. But the truth of the matter is, as long as we're here, we've got to be doing something so people hear about Jesus. And I think it starts with giving. I don't think it ends with giving. The cheapest thing you can do for world evangelism, give to it. But it's starting. It ought to be something we do, and we pray about it, and we earnestly seek that God would do wonderful things and call people and to, the, to the field and pray earnestly. We're going to have cottage prayer meetings in preparation for the missions conference where we'll have people that will host people in their homes. Go to one of those. Go and spend an hour praying for the world. Pray for the conference. We want to see people called to the ministry. And uh, God's doing something. We want to do it with God. We're labors together with the Lord. I'm not trying to do something great for God. I really want to do something great with Him. Uh, you know, I remember when I was raising, we were raising our children, our youngest child's going to turn 12 this week, and I can't hardly believe that. When they were little, I would, uh, I would you know, my, Linda would ask me to take the shoes off so we could get the white carpet or light carpet, not to get stains on there, and I'd take my shoes off. But when I get ready to go out, I'd go get my shoes, and I'd, start, I'd sit down and start doing that. And my kids, they wouldn't, uh, they just go find their shoes. They start scurrying around trying to find their shoes, and they start bringing them to me. I'm trying to tie my shoes, and they're going, they're pushing up in my hand. Dad, I... I go, I go. I'm thinking, well, where am I going? I don't know. I go, I go, I go. I'm thinking, you know why they want to go? Because dad has money and they're broke. (laughs) Daddy can drive. They can't drive. Daddy likes Dunkin' Donuts and they want to go. Daddy likes 7-Elevens. They want to go. They know when when they go with daddy, it's going to be a good time. You know, whenever God puts his shoes on, you ought to say, I go, I'll go. And uh, you can trust the Lord. You can trust him personally. You can trust him for your family. You can trust him for your grandkids. You ought to pray that God would use and to help and foster a work of eternal purposes. And uh, I don't know all that God wants to do, but I'm telling you, friends, we need to be excited about it. And we need to be burdened about it. We need to be prayerful about it. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and I shared with you quickly the story this morning. How many of you were not in service this morning because you're serving in some other capacity? Would you lift your hand if you would, please? And it's always, seems like it's at least 10% of our Sunday night crowd are not able to be here on a Sunday morning. We've spoken in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is just a four-chapter book. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. He had led them to the Lord on his second missionary journey with Silas. And he first led Lydia and her girlfriends to the Lord and started staying at their home at Lydia's house and her family's house. They lodged them. They took care of them. And every day they would go out to the marketplaces and they began telling folks about Christ. They did have an unwelcome guest. It was a demon-possessed young lady, a damsel who was demon-possessed. And she uh, she was being prostituted by some men that made money on her giving the fortunes are the information about people, and people would do that. And, and she was very, and when they went to pray, it's interesting. When Paul went to pray, the demon-possessed damsel was brought to her continually. It's interesting about that. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever go to pray and find you got distractions going on? Boy, sure. Especially when he went to pray. You can read it for yourself in Luke, excuse me, Acts chapter 16. When he went to prayer, she showed up. 
And she was not the advertisement they were looking for. She said, these are the servants of the Most High God who bring to us the way of salvation. These are the servants. And boy, she would scream and yell and get all kinds of, and people would joke and laugh about that, no doubt, because she was, she was demon-possessed while she was doing it. But the Bible says that after many days of her doing this, I've always wondered about that because I don't exactly know why Paul waited so long. I, I think he probably had discernment to know this lady was not normal. She, he could probably sense the demonic activity there. But the Bible says after many days, maybe he knew that his moment that, that uh, the demon came out of her and the timing it would turn uh, from a revival to a riot. And it did. I don't know. But sometimes I think we ought to be patient when we're working with people. I think sometimes you, I would love to lead someone to Christ the very first time I see them. But sometimes I can do that. They're ready. God's got them ready. Sometimes it takes a little time. It takes a few days, many days of just continuing to, to work and wait for a timing. Boy, that time came and that demon came out of her and she was happy, but no doubt her... Uh, those who prostituted her gifts were not happy. It hit them in the pocketbook, and they went down, and they stirred people up, and you know the story. After that, then the Philippian jailer got saved, and his whole home got saved, and they got baptized in the middle of the night, maybe in the horse trough out front, maybe in the bathtub. Maybe they walked down to the creek or the river. I don't know, but they got baptized in the middle of the night. And, um, and then Paul uh, went, uh, went back to Lydia's house in the afternoon. The magistrates came down and asked them, please just... We're sorry about beating you when we didn't know you were Roman citizens. And I imagine they probably offered them some condolences and, and maybe even some support. And now they go off to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is over 50 miles away from Philippi. When they get there, they're ministering to the other Grecian Christians there in the, in the country of modern-day Greece. And they're telling them about the Lord. And they send someone from Philippi two times in a matter of about a month. And they, they come and they bring Paul money. And they have their services there and they're being taught there, but they, they take money, they collect and they bring it to Paul. We find that when he was in Corinth, and uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse number 9, it says that Paul says, look, when I was with you, I didn't take any money from you because I knew how you thought. The, the way I was able to minister to you is because the people in Macedonia, Philippi, they brought money to me. And they gave me money so I could be with you and teach you the Bible. And so these people, and now many years have gone by. I don't know how many years, but it's about A.D. 61. Paul's in a hired house. He is in a rented house in Rome. Julius, the centurion that took him on that long trip, uh, he arrived there. He turned all the other prisoners over, looks like, to, uh, to the uh, Caesars. And I think he arranged where this guy, he said to them, he said, this guy is not a criminal. He said, we wouldn't even be here. He saved our whole ship from 273 people could have died if it weren't for this guy. He's not a criminal. What can you do for him? And I think they work out an arrangement. He said, well, I guess if he wants to pay for his own house, he can rent a house. And we'll just, and rather than put him in the Mamertine prison, we'll just let him stay in his own home. And, uh, and gave him favor and... Maybe a Roman soldier sat with him every day. I imagine that's exactly what happened. And Ephesians chapter 6, when he said, put on the whole armor of God, I'm sure that Paul was looking at that guy while he was writing, yeah, and the helmet of salvation and your sword of the spirit and, and uh, the breastplate of righteousness. He saw all that and then all that stuff leaned up against the wall and said, yeah, that's, that's what we need spiritually. 
He wrote that during that time he was there in his house. While he's there, he gets a visit from Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, I don't know if it's Lydia's husband. I don't know if it may be the jailer. It might be just one of the Christians that got saved there. But he had traveled all the way from Greece to Italy and, and arrives in Rome and knocks on the door. And that's when he comes. And no doubt, probably the soldier opens the door and says, what can I do to help you? He said, I'm looking for Paul, an old friend of mine. And, and uh, he helped us, and I'm trying to find him. Paul probably says, yeah, I know him. Get him in here. And he got him inside the house. And, and he told him about what was going on at the church at Philippi. He told him all the good things. He told him some hard things. He said, well, there's two girls, you know, sent the key. And, and uh, they, they, she's having a hard time with another girl in there. And that's why he even wrote Euodius and sent the key. He said, you girls, stop arguing. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Some of you guys are too worried. That's where he gave us the, fa- the fart about um, be careful for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with let your request be on God. Then the peace of God will comfort your hearts and help you. He told them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He challenged them to know Christ. Uh, he told them, he said, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Don't get puffed up because of what you know. Get to know the Lord. Because I'm a, he, that's where he said I'm a, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I did this. I knew this. I know that, you know, I count all that stuff on my resume as a pile of manure. I count it as dumb if I could know Jesus and keep him in my focus. That's what he told them. He told them you can have joy in difficult times and suffering. You can have joy in serving the Lord and being humble. You can have joy in pursuing a relationship with the Savior, and you can have joy in giving. And, and in Philippians chapter 4, he now, after he gives them the admonition, he tells them, I rejoice now greatly that at this time, after all these years, you have given to me again as your missionary. He said, I can't believe it. He said, after all this time, and I'm not... Thanking you just because I want something else. Because I've figured out how to live with a lot or a little. He tells them, he says, you know, I, I figured out to, I, I, I've enjoyed sleeping in the Hilton and I've also slept underneath the stars. He said, I've had really good meals and I've had very lean times where I've not had any food. He says, I know how to be put down and I know how to be put up. He said, but I figured this out. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He says, I can do all things through Christ with strengthens me. He said, I want to thank you, but he says, I'm really happy to see Epaphroditus. And I'm happy that you cared for me so much that you would send me help while I'm trying to help. And all through these two years, the Bible says in the end of, Luke, in the end of Acts chapter 28, that people came in and out of that house that would listen to the gospel. Many people were saved in that house, but he had to rent it himself, I think. I don't think Caesar was paying for it. He had to go by and get the paper to write the letters and the ink and whatever it is that he used. He had to probably feed himself. And that was done because of benevolent Christians. And no doubt, they brought, they brought money to him. And Epaphroditus came. Epaphroditus got sick while he was with him. He got ill. And, and, he, and he says in the letter, he said, man, I, th- I thought Epaphroditus was going to die. And, and God saved him, not for his sake, but for my sake. I would have died if he died. 
He said, I'm glad God brought him back to life while he was with me because I, I just thought he was so sick. He had COVID. I'm just joking about that part. He said, he just got so sick when he was with me, but the Lord spared him for my sake, and I am so glad. He said, but I want him to take back this letter. He took back this letter, and he tells us really some things that I think are very important. Let's just look at it again, if we can, please. Chapter 4 and verse number 10, the Bible says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at, at last your care for me had flourished again. He said, flourish is like it continues to grow. By the way, I think we ought to grow in our giving, don't you think? That uses that word flourish. That means to like, like spring up, just to continue to flourish, to grow a little bit more. Don't be stagnant in, in your care. Ask God, Lord, would you give through me a little bit more this year? Some years you cannot. I'm sure there may be some, but there's more people in the world that need to hear the gospel. We're probably at one of the most wealthiest states of our nation's history. Um, young people, boy, before you just go and throw $12 at a meal, you got to think about, man, could, am I giving to the Lord $12? Amen. Am I investing in, in spiritual things? Before you just go buy something else on Amazon or whatever, you got to think, you know, am I, using my, using, am I growing in my area of giving? Verse number 11, the Bible says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Verse number 12, read it with me. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Yeah, I can do all things. See, I, I figured out I can do anything God wants me to do. See, Pastor, I could never live in the mission field. You can do anything God wants you to do. I can never give 20% of my income to the Lord. You can do anything God wants you to do. I can never live single. You can do anything God wants you to do. I couldn't take my kids to another country. You can do anything God would strengthen you to do that he wants you to do. I couldn't forgive that person. You can do anything God wants you to do. Anything that he wants you to do, you can do it if you'll strengthen you. And that's a beautiful verse, a great concept. And oftentimes people say, well, I just can't, I can't. No, you can do anything that God wants you to do with his strength. Verse number 14, he said, but notwithstanding, ye have well done, and that ye did communicate or exchange with me and, and help with me and give to me, share your things with me with my affliction. And then he says in verse number 15, not only was, was giving and caring about the things of God brought rejoicing, it was the right thing to do. Remember, all of us want to hear. I want you to hear it. I don't know what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like. I do not know. But I will tell you this. I'm not the best pastor in the world. i got real issues. And you guys have been so faithful with me and so patient with me. And I want to thank you. But I'll tell you one thing I do think a lot about is I try to think about what it will be good for you when you stand before God. I want you to be glad you remember First Baptist Church. I want you to be glad that you gave, that you went soul winning, that you came to the Saturday soul winning meeting. I want you to be glad that you came on Wednesday night. And I want it to be good for you. I don't have any problem provoking you to do some of these things. And maybe you say, well, Pastor, you're beating me up. You always want me to do something, do something, do something. I, if you don't do it, it's up to you. No skin off my nose. At the same time, I'd like for one day when you walk out of the judgment seat of Christ, I wish you would say, where's my pastor? That was good in there. I sat with Dave this week, and we talked to Brother Bush. He's preaching tonight in, in uh, Kentucky. And we were talking about missionaries, the missions conference, and missionaries support. And I said, Brother Mark, we have got 
to remember we're not doing this for us. We're not doing it because we like these guys. We're doing it because we got people in those pews that need to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. They need to be glad they did or they wish they had a different pastor. <laughs> they wish they would have done those things a little differently. We want to be frugal. You heard about Wednesday night, the cheapest man on the planet. Remember that? I took him for tacos too, buddy. I'm telling you what. He, and he liked the tacos. I said, what are you doing? You like that? He goes, I know. I just want to mess with you. I said, well, what? you put me out there in front of all our, our people, you know. He's a mess. But the truth of the matter is, I want you to be, I want you to be glad. That you are part of a church that, 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 I want people all over heaven to come say, First Baptist, hey, you guys are the one reason I got here. You know? I want people to go look in the, 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 the counting part of heaven and say, goodness, I heard that, that Brother Froakie, where's that Froakie guy? I want to meet him. I heard he gave sacrificial. That guy was an old, old man in that church, and he just, he gave generously. I, wa- I want him to say, hey, you know what, where's that teenager? I heard there's teenagers giving 15 bucks a week. So that people could get saved. I want to find those kids. And they can say, you know, I'm the one. God used your 15 bucks to get me saved. All over the world. One thing I want to know is, you know, I remember years ago hearing about a story about a, kid, a guy who was, um, he came to know Christ and an atheist got a hold of him and said, all right, when you go to heaven, what are you going to do? You're going to just walk on, play on, play on clouds and stuff? He goes, no, you know what I'm going to do? I want to go see Jesus because he's the one who paid for my sin. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody wants to go see Jesus. What else are you going to do? He goes, I don't know. I'm going to go find the missionary that came and brought me the gospel. All right, go to Jesus, your little missionary. What else are you going to do? He said, then I'm going to spend time finding out everyone who helped my missionary get to my field. And I'm going to spend my time going to there and telling them thank you. And the atheist left him frustrated. But it does beckon the question. Who in heaven will be looking for you? Who in heaven will be looking for you and say, hey, I heard you had a role in that. Hey, the books will be open. It's one thing we know about judgment. God's got books going. And the books are open. You can put your offering plate like I did this morning upside down in the offering plate. But let me tell you something. It'll be upside right. There'll be no secrets in heaven. We won't, we, we're not, we're not going to be, fine. well, I just gave this and this, it, no. You know, I don't want anybody, I'm personal about that. No, no, it won't be any personal. It'll be open. And it'll be real to God, and it'll be real to others, and it turns into souls. But Apostle Paul tells him, he said, number one, I want to tell you, when you get involved with world evangelism, it rejoices. It brings joy. Joy to God, joy to Jesus, joy to the Holy Spirit, joy to the missionary that can go to the field, joy to the sinners that get saved, joy to the people that rejoice, to prayers who, who are getting answered. It brings joy. It's one of the things I love about First Baptist Church. I love to hear, and I heard it today. Someone said, you know, it's just a, I like being part of this church because it's just like, it seems like we're all pulling the same way. He's not a member yet, but he told me, he said, Pastor, he goes, I came here as a kid, but he goes, I didn't feel that same way, not because, he, because it was not that way, but he said, I just, he said, coming back here, and I'm not a member yet, I'm going to be a member, but said, I feel like we're all pulling the same way. Just walk in, it's like there's joy in the church. And I think when we learn to get involved with the world's great commission, joy is a byproduct. It brings rejoicing. Number two, it's right. He said, you've well done. You're never going to hear well done until you've done well. <laughs> and one thing we need to do is we, it, when we get involved in getting the gospel to people, he said, you have well done. 
and that you did communicate with my affliction. You were going through my hard time, you helped me. I was going through a hard time, and you helped me. Giving to the Ukraine or helping people in difficult times, that's what we do. And last week on a Wednesday night, we had a family that, that, um, that uh, the husband left the wife. He was a pastor, and he just went through a difficult time. And I said, church, let's do something for this lady. Let's help at least get her kids in a Christian school and let help her. She's having to go to work now and, and be a single mom. And uh, just on a Wednesday night, $1,700 in change was given, and we, we sent it to them, the ones at the Christian school and one to them. You know that helping people in times of affliction is a very good thing. He said, you've well done. And then the Bible tells us here the next thing. He said, no other church did this, only you. And that teaches us that giving to missions and getting involved with the world is fairly rare. Now, I don't think it's wise to compare ourselves among ourselves, but I think we might be amazed at how few people really give to world evangelism. They can, be, they can be Christians for years and not, not get excited. They're just still stuck on the tithe. I believe in the tithe. I believe it's a starting place. I believe it's God's idea for us to start giving. But boy, I'm telling you, after years of serving God, you shouldn't be stuck on doing a penny out of every dime. God will grow your tithe, but you and I need to grow our giving. Let, let, let's start, let's just say, God, what could you trust me? What can I trust you to give through me? What could I do? And it's a rare. Many people spend more money on cable television and coffee and, and dog food and cat food and vet bills than they do on world evangelism. And none of those things are in themselves wrong, especially not the coffee. That's not wrong. <laughs> However, I do believe with all my heart we need to make sure that we make it our number one endeavor as a church I would love to see us continue to get souls to Jesus. And not only locally, but globally. Because it rejoices. It's right and it's rare. So you look at the next thing, and that is that it's regular. Would you look, if you would please, as Paul commends them, he tells them in verse 15, Now the Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, that means when he brought the gospel to them, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. When I left your area, nobody thought of this. For even in, Macedonia, in Thessalonica, he said, when I left, now Thessalonica is in Macedonia, so he's saying when I left Macedonia, you still chased me and found me and sent me money. You did it. But even when I was in just 50 miles away from you in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my necessity. He said, you were regular. You just kept on finding ways to get uh, support to me. And he says, verse number 17, here's where we're going to conclude tonight. Not because I desire a gift, but as I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The fourth thing, I'll just remind you, number one, we give to missions because it rejoices. It makes me happy, makes God happy. Blessed, it's more blessed to give. It, it brings joy to us. Number two, it's right. It's well done. Number three, it's rare. Number four, it's regular. It's people who give systematically will give more substantially. So, Pastor, why do you want me to do, give that faith promise thing? It's just an idea that Paul used that we're copycatting. It's, it's right from the Bible. That's what he did. So we're just using the same methodology. And I think God's very wise because if we give something regularly, we will eventually give more substantially. Remember years ago, I was 
and, and a great man who is very faithful and very much a missions giver. But he sat down with me, and he had a set an appointment, and he goes to our church, a wonderful man, very smart man. And it was maybe two years after I'd been the pastor, he said, Pastor, I'm really struggling with you. He said, we've got a debt here. We've got a debt in our church, and we need to, we need to get rid of our debt. And you keep talking about adding to missions. Every time you get there, you talk about giving to missions, and you talk about adding new missionaries, and I don't understand it. He said, if we paid off our debt, then we would have more to give to missions. By the way, that's on the back of my mind, too. I would love it to not have to give $76,000 a month to, mission, to the bank and be able to do that with something else. But, that, but he said, but, but Pastor, why are you wanting us to keep giving to missions? It doesn't make sense. If we paid off our debt then we would, we would have more later on to give to missions. And I said, you know, I want to I just answer your question with a little bit of experience because I, I went through this in my life and I went through this in another church that had big problems. And I don't think we can pay our debt off on our own. We're going to have to have the help of God. I said, if we did, we just put all our efforts, every time I got up, I talk about paying off our debt, paying off our debt. Let's just pay off our debt. If that's all I talked about and we didn't, he said, don't add any more missionaries, just pay our debt. I said, if I did that, how long do you think it would take us if we really concerted to get $16.5 million down to zero? He said, well, I said, probably, I don't know, 10 years probably. I said, so 10 years we don't add any more missionaries. We don't try to get the gospel to anybody else. Just 10 years, we just work on debt. How many people are going to die and go to hell in 10 years? And to his credit, he just said, Pastor, that's, that's, good, that's a good point. I said, then, let's suppose we did pay our debt off. Maybe we did it in seven years or eight years. Maybe we did, I, I told him, I don't think we would pay it off. But I think we can pay it off a lot faster with God's help than we can just trying to do it ourselves. Now, we may have the money in this room to pay off a debt. I don't know. But, but I said, I don't, I don't think we can do it. But here's what I did say. I said, I, I felt like I could, I could share this with him. I said, who's to say we could pay it off in seven years? For seven years, we didn't support any more missionaries. We didn't talk about missions. We just, we just maintained or kept the ones we have. And then seven years. And then all of a sudden, our debt's paid off. Do you think our heart will automatically, okay, now. We can put all this money onto missions. Do you think that's what we're going to do? I don't think we would. I think our heart would be like, oh, we've got to fix this. We've got to fix this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this right here. We start becoming more self-absorbed. Because where your treasure is, there your... Do you know one of the reasons I think that we, we are interested in missions is because we give to missions. You know, people who yawn through the missionary presentations, you might be tired and you might just be bored. Because you have no interest there. People who give to missions are interested in what's going on. Man. They look forward to the mission conference. They don't, they're, not, they're not going through it like, oh, I have to do this. No, they're like, oh, can't wait to do it. I'm looking forward to it. When I hear these people coming, I'm looking forward to hearing Brother Sisk. I'm looking forward to being challenged about that. I do want to meet that brother. I want to see that person go in Japan. I want to find out what's going on. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your, yeah, your heart goes with that. As we look at the passage of Scripture, he says, Let, not only does it, is, it, is it rejoice, not only is it right, not only is it rare, but it's regular. 
You keep giving regularly, you're going to find you'll give more substantially. I will say to this man, I said to this man, and this is the reason I gave the story. I said, could I just ask you something? You don't have to answer it me. I won't know. I don't check. But do you give to missions every week? If, you can, if we could look at your missions envelope, do you, or your offering envelope, do you give to missions? He said, well, um, no. I just give whenever I get a little extra. I just put four missions, you know. I said, you know, I think if I were you, I would make a commitment and do something every week. Because if you just give occasionally, you're not going to give substantially. But if what you can learn to do on a weekly basis, you'll be amazed. I remember years ago, and our, our child was, I don't know, maybe 12 years old. And he brought in his giving record, $867 for the year. He said, Dad, I had no idea that... I would be able to give $860 this year to the Lord. And he told me how much it was missions and how much was, was, was offering. I thought to myself, man, that's a blessing. I, I know it may not be a lot to some, but for him, I thought, man, that's pretty, that's pretty great. I know he didn't make $8,000 last year. I know it was more than his tenth. But just seeing what he gave, he said, I had no idea this, just doing what I was supposed to do every week, I would have this much given. And I rejoice with that, but it needs to be regular. But now, let's talk about real quickly in closing the rewards of giving. This is what really stimulates me. Look, if you would please, verse 17. Can you please? And the Bible says, not because I, re I desire a gift from you, but I desire what? That may abound to your... Okay, can I, if you don't know this, you have two accounts running simultaneously. The one at Chase and the one in heaven. The one at First Midwest and the one in heaven. The one at the credit union and the one in heaven. You all have two accounts. Jesus said this in the world-famous sermon on the mount. He said, he said, lay up for yourselves treasure. He said, he said there, there's two treasuries, one in heaven and one in earth. And he says, look, I'm really glad you gave church at Philippi. Why? Because this puts eternal fruit on your heaven's books. And that, I don't know about you, but... I, the God of heaven tells us to lay up treasures in heaven. You know what that tells me? He knows more about heaven than you do. And he knows this, you're going to need treasure on your books. I don't understand it all. I don't know exactly all that means. But if he who lives in heaven tells you to save for heaven, I think it's a good idea. And Paul says, hey, listen, the reason you want to give to missions, reward number one, you'll put fruit on your eternal account. Number two, you will meet the need of the missionary. Look, if you would please, at the next, the next verse, verse number 18. But I, who is the I there, have all, and I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you. And, and I want you to notice, he says, look, not only do, do we get eternal fruit in our account, but my servant of God gets his, gets, he's equipped He's equipped, she's equipped to do what they need to do. Miss Becky Pope, who is a medical missionary, read her letter today. I've been praying for her the last couple days, thinking about that, and probably ought to do a special gift to her just to encourage her in this work as a single servant of Christ, serving the Lord in that way. But when we give to Becky Pope and she goes to the Amazon and sets up a clinic, and then they tell people about how to get saved while they check their ears and they check the kids and the hand and mouth disease and all the things. And they give out antibiotics and all that stuff they do. And they give them around and they tell them about how to get saved. And they get saved. Not only do we get eternal fruit to our account, but we give her something to put in her syringe. 
We give her a plane ticket to get there. We give her gauze and Q-tips and whatever materials that she needs to care for those hurting people. And she, and she could say, like Paul said, you know, I appreciate you giving because what's happening where I am will be fruit to your account. And he says, now I'm full. I've received of Epaphrodite all the things you've given. Now I have what I need to do what needs to be done. I have the Bibles. I can buy Bibles. I can buy benches to sit on. I can, you know, I think about Corey McDonald that's uh, scratching out of a place in in Kenya, and Brother, P- Brother Peter Morris is training pastors, and when he does it, he has to rent a, a little hotel, a hotel conference room, and has to have a place for them to sleep and food for them to eat, and it may cost him uh, $1,200 just to get the men to get there and to do that. Brother, uh, Brother um, Boltros Fouthaus in Egypt, just to get all of his pastors, over 50 pastors, if he can get them to come to one location, and be able to minister to them and teach them the Word of God. Brother Ezekiel Salazar will be with them this year to teach them the Bible. It's very expensive to get them there, and they're not going to be able to come on their own dime. Many of them are just, all they can do is just to keep their head above water. But when they come there, they get the rice, and they get, the, they get something to eat at night, and they, they, they have the service all day, and they have an afternoon service, and they have a meal, and then they have an evening service, and they eat another meal, two meals they give them. And, and to do that, it costs money. Because sometimes... $6,000 to get that many men to come there and to be trained. But whenever he gets it, he says, oh, oh I'm so glad because I, I need to buy that. I need to get this. He goes, now I have all that I need. I'm full. I abound. I've got what I need. So when we give to missions, the reward number one, eternal fruit. Reward number two, my substitutes have something that they need to do what God's called them to do. Have you ever tried to build something without the tools to build it? Have you ever tried to change your, 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 your brake pads without the right tool? It's frustrating. You ever tried to fix something and you don't even have a screwdriver? It's frustrating. But when we support missions, then they have what they need. Look at the next thing that the Bible tells us. Verse number 18. It, your gift, in the middle of 18, it says, is an odor of sweet smell, sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to who? I don't understand this completely, but of course in the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices to God. And it was something that came as a sacrifice to God, and it would come to his nostrils. And he says, whenever I see a giving person or a giving church, and they give to the Lord, to God, it's a refreshing moment. In a world that stinks in his nostrils. Of all the things we could say when we get mad, why do we want to damn the God of the Bible? Why do we want to damn his son? You don't hear people going and say, Ah, Buddha! Ah, Muhammad! No, they don't say that. No one gets mad and say, Ah, Adolf Hitler! No, no one gets mad and say, Ah, Vladimir Putin! You know when they want to hurt somebody? They want to hurt the God of the Bible. They want to hurt his son. They want to say nasty things about him. Many of us have done it. And it stinks. It hurts God. But when he sees a giving people, he said, your gift that Epaphrodite brought into my door here a while ago, it's like an odor of sweet smell to God. He says, boy, Rome usually doesn't smell good, but it smells good right now. It's because of what you gave. Hammond doesn't smell too good, but boy, I don't know. That 473 Sibley 
a good smell there. Something that refreshes the heart of God. I don't know about you. I want to give God a good day, don't you? I'd like for God to say, you know what? I, I like you, Wilkerson. You give me a good day. In a world that stinks, you give me something that smells good. And it's your sacrifice. It's your giving. It's your service. And then the last thing is verse number 19. Look at it, would please. Eternal fruit, equip servants, enjoyment to God. And then the last thing, verse number 19. Let's read it out loud together. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. I love that promise. But here I say, it says, he says, not only the fourth benefit is that God knows that you're going to have needs. And he says, my God shall supply all your need according to his rich and glory by Christ Jesus. I love that promise, and I'm sure it has application to everybody to some extent. I've oftentimes said it's not everybody's promise. God is so good to meet our needs. But I think it has a special meaning to people in context. He's not saying that to everybody. He's saying that to a church that did something that rejoiced, that was right, that was rare, and was regular. He said, let me tell you your reward. When you have a need, God's going to meet it. You know, all of our needs are not necessarily financial. Sometimes you, got, you can look into the eye of a teenager and you think that kid may be demon-possessed, but you're not sure. He's just not thinking right. She's got issues. Lord, I need wisdom. He said, I, I can help you, John. I can help you with that. You're going to have maybe a need financially. Some of you are going to need comfort. I'll never forget the comfort I needed. On August the August 16th, 2.39 in the morning, we found out from the corners that Tyler was gone. I thought to myself, oh, no. And how would Linda look in the eyes? She said, John, he's gone. He's gone. I said, yes. How am I going to tell the kids? What am I going to do? All the wisdom I needed in that time. What to do with my day? What to do with that Sunday? I had been studying all week on the Holy Spirit, our comforter. And someone said, you're not going to preach Sunday. I said, well, I don't know. I think I can. I cried through most of the service. But I already had a message. You know what? God gave us what we needed when we needed. And this is something he'll do for you. He's not a respecter of person. I think when we get involved, and this is one of the reasons I think you might be looking at one of the most needy people in the whole world, me. <laughs> a lot of times I have a lot of needs, and you have needs. Our church has needs. And he said, look, if you'll get involved with this world evangelism with me, I'm going to meet your needs according to the riches and glory by who? Christ Jesus. Because missions is about the Lord. It's about Christ, and he finances what he tells us to do. And he meets our needs financially, emotionally, spiritually. Some of you, it may be a companion that you need. I'm convinced. I started giving to the Lord systematically because I was provoked when I was 17 years old. The night I asked Linda to go on our first date, it was a very hot date, right, right here on a Wednesday night. It was unbelievable. Hot date, Wednesday night church. I just kept giving her lifesavers. <laughs> I gave her cherry and I gave her butterscotch. She thought, man, this guy's really candy. I was afraid I was going to fall asleep. That's why I had to work 11 at night till, till uh, 6 in the morning. So I thought I was going to fall asleep, so I just thought I'd bring lifesavers and hope I didn't drool all over my tie, you know. And, but you know, that, that, uh, that, that night, 
I didn't know what I needed, but I had a, I had a nervous stomach. I had been taking some tagament because I was just miserable. I'd broken my elbow at work, and I was doing all I can do, working 11 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning, trying to go to school. And I remember thinking, when someone talked to me about dating, I said, I can't, I can't take a relationship. I can't even take care of myself. I'm, I'm having all I can do to pay my school bills, stay awake in class, pass my classes, do my bus route. I, I can't even imagine taking on a relationship. But you know what I needed badly? I needed Linda. I needed a reason to go, go to work. I, need, I needed a note on my pillow that says, John, I prayed for you last night. I need a friend. Boy, God brought that to me, and I don't think I would, I would have the wife God gave me. And I wouldn't have so many things in my life, and you wouldn't either, if it weren't for God seeing our need and meeting our need. I don't think our church, I'm not sure we'd still be looking at each other tonight, nine years later with the, with the travesty and the hardship, if God hadn't chosen to meet our needs in result for him getting a big, big uh, getting an opportunity to do something through us. And I think God is an amazing God. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Can we?